today. We are in 1 John chapter 2. We've been walking through this letter that uh, John, the Apostle John, wrote to this church that was in conflict. And we're going to be in verses 15 through 17 today. And one thing that you will realize about this letter notice is just about the time it makes you feel good, it cuts your feet out from under you. Right, uh, meaning that we want to build assurance in a way that lasts. This is his goal. He wants us to know God in a way such that it changes who we are. It changes who we are. And we will experience that, that type of real assurance, as we choose to, to trust in God, to obey him, and to love him. So this is where we're at. It's been good. Uh, like most series that we, we enter into, you open up the word. You think you know what it's going to say. You think you know where it's going to take you. But God normally takes us in a different way. So I've been blessed by this. Uh, so as we prepare to walk into this word today, let me just ask you something about God's will. Uh, because that's, that's kind of just a touchy subject, isn't it? Some people love to talk about, yes, I know what God's will is. Some people hate to talk about it. Uh, but let me ask you this. How motivated are you to do God's will when you know that his will doesn't really line up with your will, what you want to do, with your internal, authentic, real desires. How motivated are you to do his will when it just has nothing to do with what you want? Uh, let me give you a, like a pastoral example of that. Uh, this, is, this is kind of funny. One of the things that we hear sometimes is somebody will come up and they'll say, hey man, I need some prayer. I, I need to get the whole pastoral team on this. I, I have this huge decision that I'm going to ask you to pray about. It's, it's a new job and I don't know whether I should take it or not. You know, it's, it's a different area. It's this, the money's that. And I just don't know what God's will for me is. Um, and, and sometimes... Just to be snarky or just because we love the person, we'll say, well, that's great. Um, but do you have any urgency to, like, obey the, just the simple, plain, revealed will of God? Like, what do you mean? Like, hey, you haven't been in church like six months. Yeah, I know. I'm working that. But what I really need now is I really need to know God's will for this decision, for this job in my life. Is that strange to you? Because I do this, too. I'm not picking on anybody. We do this. We get really motivated for God to speak into our lives. What is, your, what is your will in this, God? But when it comes to the simple, plain, revealed will of God, which is so simple to see, how we're to love one another, how we're to walk in worship, how we're to give, how we're to serve, how we're to approach people that are, are oppressed and hurting, what we're to do with our time and our strength and, and our money, it's really simple. It's not even abstract, but we don't get really motivated about that. Um, here's, why I think, here's why I think that happens. There's an old head by the name of Thomas Cranmer. And the reason I bring him up is because we as the church, it's not just us. We have a conversation that's been happening with God throughout history. So it's good sometimes to look backwards. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury back in the 1600s. And he's, he said something that is just fascinating to me. He says, what your heart wants, your will will choose, and your mind justifies. Brilliant. What your heart wants, your will chooses, and your mind's always going to justify it. So when it comes to obeying God's will, it's not just reason, because we find it unreasonable to obey God's will a lot of times if it doesn't line up with our will. But here's what I want you to know. Love is leading your life. Your affections and what you love and what you desire, it's leading your life. It's leading my life. 
And John wants us to see that today. So the question isn't, suspend this idea of God's will for a minute. Just know that your love, what you deepest, your deepest loves and affections are leading your life today. It's making decisions for you, what you do and what you don't do. So the question is, as we jump into this text, what love is leading you? Is it God's love? Is it your own desire? Is it your own longings? What is it? What is it? Um, what love is leading? So let's, let's jump into this text. And he's going to speak about, I want you to see how many times he talks about love and affection and your desires. Here we go. This is chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, you ask things of us that are impossible. But you give us every grace and everything that we need, Lord. The hardest thing isn't choosing to trust you. The hardest thing is believing that we can. Lord, I have a request today as we open up your word. By your spirit, would you do work in us that we might be willing to trust you in areas we have never done before. That's a miracle. And God, so as as we open up your word, we know it's a gift, and we ask that you would open it up for us that we might see it as it is. It might be treasure to us, and it might read us as well. So we give you this time, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So you, you caught it. On one level, this is a very easy text. It's very simple. It's very binary. Don't love the world, because if you love the world, the love of God's not in you, right? Very simple. But what does that actually mean? On one level, it's very, very complex. In basics, here's what he's saying. Let God's love lead you. You're going to live your life based on what you love most. So love most what lasts. Let God's love lead you. Very simple, right? But how does that work out in our lives? We want to know that. Uh, and he, he throws three things down here for us to see that will help us to understand what it means to let God's love lead you. Uh, and the first thing that we're going to walk through and the text kind of intimates is that love creates conflict. When you love something, it will necessarily create friction and conflict in your life, A. And then B, um, what is love? Well, love is more than just an emotion or an affection. It is a longing, right, or a desire, but not just even that. It's longing that's raised to the power of commitment. So you'll know what you love because it will actually shape your life. You will make commitments or break commitments based on your desire. And lastly, love lasts forever. Whatever you set your heart on, your core affections on, will set your destiny. So let's walk through this together. And I have two goals here. Uh, one is to understand what this means. What does it mean when he says don't love the world? That's, that's weird because it says God loves the world. So what does he mean by that? What does it mean to not love the world and to trust God in that? And also, more than that, I want you to know what it means in your life. 
So we're going to try to do as many specific examples of what this could look like in our lives or in your lives. So we want to know what it means and what does it look like. And generally speaking, you're seeing two things. You're seeing a love of the world that comes from the world and it passes away or it's fading as we speak. Then you also see a love of God that comes from God. And as we choose to abide in it, um, it's eternal, right? It abides forever. So let's walk through this. Let God's love lead you. Let's do that. Uh, so the first thing that I would like to open up is this idea of love creating conflict. So if we're going to let God's love lead us, you have to understand that's not going to be easy. Love always creates conflict in your life. Um, let me just ask you this. When you're in mixed company, like maybe at work or at a work party or something like that, uh, do you ever get into a conversation that makes you feel uncomfortable where you're like, hey, um, there's tensions that people have that I don't have. Or there's tensions that I have with the conversation that they don't have. Do you ever find yourself out of step in conversation with people that um, are not following Jesus? Not that you're any better than them because you're not. In fact, we're the worst of the worst. But do you ever get tension? Do you ever feel like, hmm, they want something that I don't and vice versa? Do you ever feel that? Maybe it's like they're focusing on, on their job too much or they're focusing on getting revenge on those who hurt them or they're just seeking money or power or things like that. Things that you might consider to be out of step with what God wants for your life? Do you ever feel tension? Do you ever feel conflict because of God's love and because that you love God? Well, it's going to create conflict in your life. Uh, Jonathan's very clear about this, this kingdom of darkness and this kingdom of light. Uh, We cannot say that we know the Father, yet walk in darkness. So there's this idea that there's two realms. And if we're in Christ, if we're trusting in him, you will find yourself in conflict. So what kind of conflict? What kind of conflict does this love produce? Well, the first one is external conflict. This is the first thing that the texts talk about. It talks about the world or external conflict in the world. So what does this mean? What is the world? Well, we know that it could be a few things, but we have to understand context here. The first thing that could be is the created universe. Well, that's, that's a good thing, right? We want to love the world. God created it. He loves it. So it's, it's not that. Um, a lot of times in Scripture you see this word used in this way, all of humanity, right? For God so loved the world, same word. So are we to not love people? Yeah, I think that's what it's saying. Just kidding. I'm going to see if you're awake. Um, no, it's not that. We are to love people. So, so what is it? Well, the third way that Scripture uses this term cosmos, where we get the word cosmos from, is this idea of the world that stands against God, where God is a threat. So think of it this way. When he's speaking of world, it's a political term. Uh, so the world, as he's using it in this verse, is a political system of self-rule, where you are king, where God's rule is a threat to you, where life is aligned against God, where your life is untethered from God's rule. God can speak into your life, and you'll listen to what he says, but at the end of the day, you have to make the decision as to what you're going to do. He can be an advisor, and he's truth and light, and that's all well and good, but I need to remain king. That is the world that he's talking about. And that is the air that we breathe. I mean, it does not submit. In fact, ignores the rightful king who is Christ. Um, But we don't see that. We don't think in terms of that. Uh, For instance, if you're talking to somebody who is not a believer, 
and you talk about, hey, you know, what I love about the gospel is it reconciles me to God. And someone's like, I love God. I don't have a problem with God. Why do I need to be a Christian? Why does that matter? We don't see that. We don't see that in the air that we breathe, we are living with the understanding that I will define good for myself. The political system that I want to live in is one where I'm in charge, self-rule. This is the world that he's talking about. When you are living on God's love, when you're living to love God, you will come up against this time and time again. But you won't see it until there's conflict in your life. It's kind of like the space needle. Have you ever been on the space needle? It moves and it spins, but nobody knows it. When you're on the space needle, you don't know it's spinning because you don't feel the motion. The whole room is spinning everything. You just notice eventually, oh, the scenery's changed. I saw the ocean and now I see the city. You don't realize it until you look outside. So this is the world, the political system of self-rule. This is what he's talking about, aligned against God. So we live in that world. We breathe that air. Um, what other kind of conflict? So this, that's external conflict. And I think we can get that. The next is internal conflict. Um, this is probably a little more dangerous, and we're probably a little more defensive about that. It's your desires. It's your internal, authentic longings. It's the things that you want and the things you want the most. Um, so let's talk about what these desires could be. First of all, your desire and the fact that you live to love is not the problem. You were created to desire. Um, that is not the problem. Many desires are good, right? They're inherent into humanity, right? We have appetites for food. Uh, we have appetites for sex. We have appetites for respect. I want to be respected. That's good. I want to worship. I want to live for something. So the desires in and of themselves are not the issue. So what he's not saying is, you know, renounce the world, get rid of toaster ovens, don't do anything, hold yourself up and just never... No, he's not saying that. He's not trying to bring the act of desiring something... Um, into judgment. There are good desires, but there's also bad desires, right? There's like when somebody cuts me off on, on a highway, I do want to kill them, right? That's a bad desire. If you execute that and get into road rage, um, God is not pleased with that, not to mention you could um, go to jail. So there's good desires, there's bad desires, but what we mostly live in is what he's speaking about here. It's called disordered desires or a disordered love. It's when you have inherent desire, a good thing, that good thing becomes a God thing. That desire becomes the thing that motivates you. It becomes the non-negotiable in life. It's the thing that I am not willing to live without. Maybe it's a good desire for respect. I need to be respected. That's good. You're made in the image of God. We should be respected as individual human beings. That's a good thing. Now it becomes a God thing or an ultimate thing or non-negotiable or just a given in life such that when somebody disrespects you, um, it becomes just painful to the point of you would undercut them. For instance, your, your desire for respect would maybe lead you to undercut a colleague on a project so that you would look better than them. You will cut the legs out from under them because I need to be respected on this team, in this company. I am unwilling to live a life where I don't have respect. And now that's causing you to break God's will. That's causing you to walk outside what God wants for you. So these are the disordered desires or the disordered loves that he's talking about, these internal desires. Now, this is not a modern problem. You need to understand that. This is not new. Um, first of all, it's in Scripture. Um, 
Augustine picks up on this. North African church leader, a fourth century good guy. Maybe you read him in college confessions or something like that. One of my favorite theologians. As a 19-year-old, he was reading uh, Hortensius, right? This, this writing from Cicero. And in it, it says this. It says, every person sets out to be happy, but the, the majority are thoroughly miserable. And that bothered Augustine. You know why? Because he was trying to be a good Christian and realized it's right. Why, why live for anything but pleasure? And even when we do live for pleasure, we're still miserable. And this is the conclusion that Augustine came to. Listen, listen to this. It's the same conclusion that John's coming to. He says, we are most fundamentally shaped, not so much by what we believe or by what we think or by even what we do, but we are fundamentally shaped by what we love. We are. And we don't think that way, but it's true. So love creates conflict. If you've ever read this word and it's never been conflict to you, if you've never read that and say, I can't believe that's in the Bible. Do I, am I really supposed to live that way? It, you've never read it. You've never understood it. If you're going to read God's word, it's going to create conflict. Especially, a lot of times we'll say, I don't know, that scripture's pretty unclear. Not Usually it's not. Usually what it means is I don't want to believe it. And we just have to be honest with that. So realize you and I live with the assumption uh, that we will be the executors and the kings in our life. This political system is self-ruled. That's the world, as John speaks about it. Love will create conflict in your life. If you want to know where God's working in your life, it's always going to be in the conflict. So the call is to let God's love rule us. So again, what love is leading you, what longing in your life is creating conflict, whether it's internal or external? Um, let's just, can I, can I give you a human example of what this looks like? Um, imagine that you are engaged to marry somebody, right? You're in love with them. You have a ring. But then you find somebody else and you really desire them. I mean, to the point where you're like, wow, what do you do with that? Let's, let's step that up. What if you're married? But you find something that you desire to the level that you're like, this person is amazing. I've never felt this way. Is, what's the threshold between desire and love? It's commitment. It's commitment. That's where we're going to go next. Um, so love doesn't only create conflict. Let's understand what love is. So love is a longing or a desire, but raised to the level of a commitment where it shapes what you do. Let's walk through this together. Uh, think of it this way. When something becomes so desirable, so pleasurable, so beautiful to you, so life-giving to you, that it changes how you live, you no longer just have an affection or a desire or a longing. You, my friend, have a love. In fact, Scripture would say you have a new master. You have something that you're living for. This longing has transitioned into a real love. So remember, if something causes you or is making you break God's will, it has become a commitment to you. For instance, in that relationship, if you're like, yeah, well, I know I'm married, but like, I just need to sleep with this other person. Now you've broken a commitment that you've made. So you no longer have a love. You're not, no longer operating in that love. Uh, if you lie to protect your reputation at work, right? you're loving your reputation more than what God says of you. Do you see how this works? 
So this longing produces a commitment. Um, And verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay, let's understand this. Here's what it doesn't say. If anyone loves the world, God doesn't love you. Not saying that. That's a good thing. Be happy. Smile. Yay. Here's what it does say. If anyone loves the world, God's love is not in you. Very different. When you have a a love like this that you've wrapped your life around, it's expulsive. You have one heart. It can hold on to one thing. You love the world and your own life, or you love God. So this means what? What does it mean that God's love is not in you? It means that God's love for you, God's grace for you, his desire for you, the fact that he's crazy about you, the fact that he declares you righteous because of the work of his son, the fact that he, 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 he makes every way possible for you to know him, to love him, that's good to you, but it's not exerting influence in your life anymore. It has no functional authority. You might believe a creed, you might come to church, you might read the Bible, but at the end of the day, I'm going to do what I want to do. So God's love is not exerting influence. It's not in you. Do you, do you see that? It's not helping you make decisions. It's just orbiting out here. Your life, is, your life is not orbiting on God's love for you. This is exactly what John means to this church, who, by the way, is dwelling in conflict. So, um, verse 16. For all that is in the world, this, this is the core of it, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. So if love is a longing that is raised to the level of a commitment, we want to understand what that looks like in our life. Now, does anybody know what this means? These are very churchy or very spiritual terms. We're going to bring them right on down to the earth. So are you ready for some conflict? Ready to do this? It's going to hurt. Love does create conflict. You cannot love God without going through pain. Desires of the flesh. What does this mean? What is a desire of the flesh? Well, it's an appetite that consumes you, period. Let me give you some ideas. Intimacy. We all want intimacy. We want to know and be known. And part of that is an an intense drive for sex. But if we're to understand scripture, that's in a committed relationship, man, woman. But we want to exercise our relationships the way we want to. Pornography is rampant. Women are objectified in our culture by Christians, men and women. This is a desire of the flesh that becomes a commitment, and it's how we live. That's one example. And I know everybody is going to be involved in that. Secondly, pain. Um, Desire of the flesh. We will do anything to avoid pain. That's a very Western idea. We start living our life to swerve around, to slalom around anything that creates discomfort or pain in our life, desire of the flesh. What about escape? What about obsession with media? What about obsession with false connections on social media that we substitute for real relationships, desire of the flesh? What about a relationship with food? Some of us won't eat at all. Some of us never stop eating. An appetite that is disordered. So if these things are happening in our life, we can say this, we're in love with the world. 
we, we just got to say it. We're in love with the world. But what Jesus wants us to see is that our union with him, our intimacy with him through faith is our pleasure, it is our joy, it is our foundation, period. He never leaves or forsakes you. You're never going to find that in a human relationship or any kind of other relationship that you have. So desires of flesh. That doesn't cover all of it, but a lot of times it's an appetite that's flipped on you. And it becomes what controls your life. All right? And honestly, everybody's been here. So don't think you're sitting there and saying, well, I'm the one who's never done that. Yeah, you have. All right? And you're tempted to. This is why God puts it in his word, so we can know. Secondly, desires of the eyes. Um, That's being captivated by external beauty. Beauty is good. God is beautiful. He makes beautiful things. If you don't like beauty, there's something wrong with you. I'm just going to say that. You are meant to love beauty. You're meant to see the, 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 the genesis of beauty and the locus of beauty in the person of God and his character. But you want beauty, and that's good. But we can become captivated by external beauty. We can be obsessed by personal beauty. Again, how we eat becomes a big deal. The clothes we live we wear, the cards that we drive, the external persona that we put on, that will become primary to us. That happens to people. Desires of the eyes um, or a consumption that controls you. Right? You just never stop shopping. I've read something in the paper that says everybody gets like one box a day from Amazon. And it's true. I think I, I, I'm not going to tell you how many I get a day from Amazon. But it's nonstop consumerism and consumption, desire of the eyes. I see that. That's beautiful. I want it. And all these work in tandem, by the way. These are not separate categories. It's one progression. Um, that You're in love with the world. Right? You have not understood that God is the definition of beauty. Remember Jesus on the cross? Man, he's hard to look at. Nothing in scripture even says that he was a handsome guy like David. He was basically just unremarkable. He's hard to look at, friends. But he is unwavering in holiness and his love for you. He is your beauty. He is your strength. He is what you're looking for. And lastly, the pride of life. This is more weird, but you got to hear it. Um, What does it mean, pride of life? Well, it's arrogance. In this way, security in your possessions. It's not just money either. Your intellect, your education, where I live, the money that I have, the things that the family that I have, you will begin to look at those things as the purpose of your life. This is what John means in the pride of life. You'll begin looking at your success and your skill and your reputation as the thing that makes life work for you. Pride of life. You will make sure that you put some information about yourself into every conversation so that people will know who you are. You will start to internally boast in the things that you have and look at the people that don't have those and go, well, they probably don't deserve them. You will elevate your home and your family and your kids above everybody else's. And then there's money, pride of life. And this will cause you to do some weird things. Um, You'll spend all your hours working because you need the money for security. Or you won't work at all. You'll underprovide for your family. You're in love with the world. Listen, friend, Jesus is your treasure. He 
is your value. Um, I just know we hit some buttons here. They did for me as I was thinking and praying about it this week. And here's what I need you to know. Loving the world does not assume this. It doesn't assume you're being dishonest or inauthentic or insincere. These are real desires you have. It means you are trusting in your own understanding of what you need over and against God's design, God's will for you. I I know what I need. That's what you're saying. doesn't mean that you're desiring to go out and kill someone. It means you've taken good appetites, good desires, and the good things God has given you, and you've, you've turned them upside down. Here's what the world says. Let me, just, let me tell you what the world says. I'm going to quote a woman by the name of Jaquel Crow. She's a 20-year-old Canadian, and she understands the gospel really well, and she's a blogger. She says this. Here's what the world says. The world says, look within, follow your heart, and find your identity in your desires. The word of God has a different message. Look to God, receive a new heart, and find your identity in Christ alone. God never asked you to build an identity on what you want and you desire, no matter how real and sincere and authentic it is. If you do that, that will pull you down to death. Here's what God wants you to build an identity on, his desire for you. That's his love for you. We are called to build our identity, to set our anchor on his desire for us, his love for us, what he has done for us. Uh, And that is eternal life. So you do have love. It's raised to the power of commitment. Check your commitments or where you're breaking commitments and let God's love lead you. Um, I clean gutters on my house sometimes. Not all the times, but sometimes. I was thinking about, I don't know why this came to my mind, but it did. Um, there was one time I was cleaning a house. It wasn't here. It was in our old home, and, and, the, and the steep roof was very steep. And so being, you know, um, safety-oriented, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a harness out of rope so that I don't fall off the backside of the roof. Makes sense, right? You're tracking with me? And so you know, here's, what, here's what I'll do. I'm going to tie it to the bumper of my car. <laughs> it seemed logical at the time. Before I actually hooked it onto my bumper, I just like, no, this is going to be on the news. I'm not going to do it. So I didn't do it. But a few years later, uh, my wife, who uh, works as a, a nurse in the emergency room, she's like, oh, it happened. A guy did exactly what you said you were going to do, and his wife got in the car and didn't know it, and she like took him to town with her, right? Not all the way, but it happened. Yeah. This is, this is what it's like when you anchor your desires to a moving object like that. It's, it's true. <laughs> too much? Did we, did, we, did we go too far? I want you to feel that. I want you to feel like what it's like to live your life based on your desires. It, because your, your desires are always going to move away from God. Can, can you just come to terms with that? And when you anchor your life on your desires, you're just going to drift away. And someday it's going to pull you off the roof, okay? Um, so let God's love rule you. Let it, let it lead you. And lastly, love lasts forever. Whatever you set your heart on is where you're going to go. Um, when people look at your life, does anybody pity you? Does anybody say, ah, one of those Christians. Does anybody say, you know what? I feel bad for that family because they just give all their money to the poor, or they're always at the church, or they're just so giving. How can life be good when you don't have a new car, right? They drive a crummy old van. 
Does anybody pity you because of how you love God? In other words, are all your chips on the resurrection? And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever loves, whoever does the will of God abides forever. What you love defines your destiny because love lasts forever. See, in Christ through faith, you are citizens of a new age that's growing. We have to live in the now and the not yet because life is painful and hurtful and confusing. But you are in a new age. You're in a new kingdom. It's not going away. It's only going to get bigger and bigger until Christ comes and consummates it. So do not anchor yourself in this dying age. And the way you're going to do that is with your honest and sincere desires. Just don't do that. You are being called to invest not in this age, but in the coming age. You are called to live as an ambassador of the true king in this kingdom. This is our call. This is the love that lasts forever. If we wrap our hearts around things that are passing away, they're going to go into the dirt with us. Don't do that. Invest here. Remember last week, this was the core of it. You know him who is from the beginning. You are in a real relationship with God the Father through faith in Christ, and the Spirit of God makes that real to you every day. So don't build your life on your desires. Build them on God's desires. Do that. God's desire for you is real. He speaks it, for God so loved the world. He delights in you. He demonstrates it. God sent God the Son. He went to the cross to suffer for us, right? He's committed. You know, you know that it wasn't just empty words from God because he suffered it. We don't suffer things we're not committed to. It changed his plans. Let's just say that. He suffers on the cross, and this is an ongoing, open call to you now. As followers of Jesus and those who maybe aren't following Jesus, do it, right? Nobody gets cast away that comes to Jesus. Nobody who repents gets, no, I'm sorry, I've done that enough with you. Never, never. Rejection is not in the vocabulary of the gospel. It's not there. So let that love lead you. Build your life on that desire, not on your desires. Let that be your desire. So what love is leading you? Where's your conflict? What commitments are you willing to let slide? You're going to find your love. Have you invested here or in the age to come? Listen, let God's love lead you. If God has brought something to light in your life today, deal with it. Abandon it. Get help. Ask a friend, ask a Christian, embrace Christ. Victory is assured, but you, you got to fight. We do it together, okay? This is his promise to us. He will not forsake you. He will not forsake you. And together, we are a small window for the world into the coming kingdom. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, Lord, this is hard. Here's what I know. Submitting to you at certain points in my life has felt like I've died, like I'm actually dying. I know the pain is real. I know the fear is real. I ask that your grace and your love will be so real, nothing else is going to matter. You don't call us just to do stuff and follow rules. You call us to worship you.
to be in relationship with you. I pray that 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 truth will ring true to all of us and be real for all of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. The ushers are going to come up with baskets and we're going to transition.